Eden, your threads are amazing. What are you wearing? This old thing, Cambo. Yeah. This actually is some brand new merchandise from Cancelled Movie Report. Yes, that's right. Wow. We've got our own merch. Where could I go to find it? Campo, just hit the link in the episode notes to visit our store. Hello and welcome to Cancelled Movie Report, the documentary podcast series that talks about the best movies that Hollywood never made. My name is Michael Campbell, but you can call me Campbell. And joining me, as always, is actor and comedian, Mr. Eden Porter. Thank you very much for having me, Cambo. And joining us again, the Elena to our Sully and Nate. <laughs> yeah, well, she is the queen of video games here in Australia. It's Stephanie Ben Dixon. Hi, thanks for having me back. Now, this is part two of our report on David O. Russell's Uncharted. If you haven't listened to part one, make sure you do that first. But if you need a little reminder, here's a quick recap. I knew you wanted something, but Omakwa? You knew I was onto something? You said playing solitaire was more productive than hunting down Sir Francis. She deserves better. She does. She deserves our absence from her life. We had a deal, you son of a bitch. You used me. I, I borrowed you. I trusted you. Trusted me? You don't even know me. Omagwa's a statue. One lousy statue? We went through all of this for... Look at the scale. That thing's gotta be... 80 tons. Minimum. This must be the high priest. He's the only one not bowing to him, Mark. They're not bowing. They're dying. At the captain's desk, Nate discovers the mother load. Maps, charts, Isla Oculta. That is where they took the gold. Nate and Elena look down to the cabin below. Sully on his knees, hands on his head. Navarro stands over him. Gun to Sully's head. Things just got a bit more complicated. Now, let's get back into the film. So, we are just over the halfway point now in this story. Steph, how do you think this compares to the Uncharted we got so far? Does it feel Mm. like this cast, this story, does it feel more like the video game you remember? Or does the one that we got with Tom Holland feel more like the video game you remember? I think this version definitely feels more like the video game that I remember or or, or rather captures the sort of essence of mm. the series as a whole. But I, 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 and I don't know that I've loved either cast. <laughs> 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 but I think, I think this feels like more of a classic adventure film that I perhaps would have enjoyed more than the one that we got. I think, I honestly think Tom Holland is great. I think mm. he's young, but I think he, you know, likewise captures the essence of Nathan Drake in, in a really great way. And I, I think, you know, he makes sense as a as a choice, particularly if they were kind of thinking ahead for the franchise and in having him get older mm. through the, the mm. series. Um, but I but I think, um, yeah, the, the the newer film felt like it jumped around a lot and just there was a lot going on. Do you have a perfect Nathan Drake in your mind, be it from ten years ago or from today? Yeah, I, I don't know. It's you've got to you've got to create someone that people really want to see succeed, but also. Has you can forgive some things that he may have done, you know, while he was trying to find his feet. Yeah. Well, I mean, if we're forgiving people from stuff they may have done in their past, Mark Wahlberg is actually a prime candidate. What <laughs> with the crimes he committed in the 90s that he never went to prison for? Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch? <laughs> oh, yeah. no, no, no. I'm talking about the actual crimes. Oh, you, the, oh, you're talking about the actual crimes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought yeah. you meant the fashion crimes. No, no, no. The actual crimes. <laughs> fashion crimes. I won't go into them too much here. You can Google them. But yes, uh, he committed crimes in the 90s and he never went to prison. And some people have said perhaps he shouldn't have the wealth he has. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> shall we get back On into that the bombshell, Cambo. <laughs> Um, yes, we're back here now. Now, obviously, where we left the guys, Sully on his knees, gun to his head from Navarro. Um, Nate is... To be clear, Navarro is the guy from the very beginning that was trying to sell him the map, right? Correct. Who's now... Who works for Roman. Yeah, gotcha. And then they also have Eddie working for Navarro. So there's, I, a, there's I, a whole I, chain I remember of, things. Yeah, Don't you man. worry about it. So Nate's looking around. Uh, he looks for something that could sort of help them out in this situation. Um, he looks over the edge. Nate's gaze falls on the far side of the gun deck. He sees barrels and barrels of uh, sealed gunpowder. Yeah. Uh, then he sort of grabs his torch and he looks at it and he has that look in his eye, that classic Nathan Drake, like, yeah, I've got I'm a plan. Gonna, I'm going to light yeah. a fuse kind of look. Yeah, 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 yeah big yeah, time. Classic look. Classic look. <laughs> um, Nate and Elena drop down from the anchored chain and immediately surrounded by Navarro's thugs. The thugs pat down Nate uh, and they retrieve the map and his guns. The thug hands the map over to Navarro 
Um, from Out of the Darkness walks Roman, followed by Frank. Oh, mm. no. The old double cross. He can't stop getting betrayed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Roman explains that Frank was only too eager to sell them out, but uh, others were a little harder to buy. He looks over to Sully. Oh. The thugs suddenly release Sully. Yes. Uh, he avoids Nate's eyes. Sully asks Roman about their deal. Roman says when he has Omega, he will get his reward. But as for Mr. Drake, he has another deal with Navarro that requires payment in full. Sally yells, this was not part of the deal. Classic. Classic, yeah. <laughs> I am changing the Tick. deal. <laughs> um, Roman nods to Navarro. Sully bolts up off his knees. Navarro turns and fires, oh, no! catching Sully right in the heart. Boom, Sully cops it. Sully goes down and stays down. Um, suddenly, Roman spots a flash of light up in the galleon and more and more start to appear. Nate left his torch a couple of feet from the sealed barrels, one of which he cracked open, spilling gunpowder everywhere. He starts this chain reaction of explosions. Nate tackles Elena to the ground, and seconds later, an inferno of explosions rock the entire temple area. Nate and Elena, they're gone. Um, they take one of the motorcycles, which starts a big motorcycle chase through the graveyard and the town as Nate and Elena escape some of Roman's thugs. So we've got this huge motorcycle chase at the moment. They manage to outrun the thugs and find themselves back on their boat. So just a really fun chase this, sequence. This film has a pattern to it, which is find a journal, read some information, <laughs> set off a series of explosions that end in a chase, and then locate a boat. It's yeah, always, it's always the, locating the end a boat. Of the, end of it's, the a, it's a little bit like the room when they can't figure out how to end a scene, so someone just has to fall <laughs> over. <laughs> and anyway, they found a boat or whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so now we're on the boat. Elena sits at the table, a half-drunken bottle of scotch before them, most of which the two of them have clearly drank. Nate downs a shot of scotch, then pours himself another one. To Sully, my brother from another mother. I can't drink to that. He betrayed you. Nah. You just gotta know Sully is all. He just miscalculated the angle. Miscalculated the angle? Why am I surprised? You've probably spent most of your life rationalizing his lies. So with your friends, you don't take the bad with the good? Seems like with Sully, you just took the bad with the bad. You don't know what you're talking about. Well, maybe that's because I don't know anything about you. I've had a glimpse in a duffel bag, and that's about it. What do you want to hear? My sob story? Fine. My mother had delusions. Grand-scale delusions. My father was a world-class con artist. It didn't leave a lot of room for honesty at the dinner table. And your bad guy? Silly? I didn't know which way he was up until he set me straight. He was the only guy who ever gave a shit about me. I'm... I'm sorry. I never knew Sully like you did. But I know his philosophy was wrong. You know why I believe in good guys, Nate? Because I see people make hard choices every day. There you go again. You're making those same hard choices, Nate. That's why you risked your life to save mine. That's why you're not gonna let Roman win. Look at us. We got nothing. Roman's got resources. He's got the manpower. And he's got the only damn map. Bullshit. You're drunk. I am, but it's still bullshit. Elena pulls her camera out, flips the view screen around and hits play. Do you remember when I read you that section from Sir Francis's diary? When he began searching for the map to unlock with the one ship he could never capture was the Marquez. That's because its captain, Alvarado, had a hidden base he always escaped to. An island she pauses. There it is, in sharp HD, a perfect video copy of the map. Holy shit. I have to say something. All you can do is ruin this moment? Sully's plane. It's the only chance we have to beat Roman to Isla Oculta. You sure you can fly? I was a naval aviator. I was born flying. I meant, aren't you too drunk? (sighs) 
Post-it notes are affixed everywhere. One on the wheel that says yoke. Okay. Yeah. She spots Nate reading a flight manual. Oh my god. You don't know how to fly a plane? Of course I do. Anyone can fly a plane. Are you insane? No, they can't. There's some jobs you can bluff your way through, but pilot isn't one of them. Wait, you told me you were a naval aviator. Mostly true. How? How is that mostly true? Flying over the ocean, aren't we? Is that? I'm working on it. Great. I'm going to die because Captain Ego thinks he can fly a plane halfway across the Pacific. Not helping! It's my own fault. I knew you were reckless and irresponsible, and let's not leave out dangerous. Watch it. I seem to recall blood on your hands too, killer. I seem to recall shooting that guy in order to save your ass. As if I haven't been saving yours every damn moment since we've met. As if I need your help. Well, you do right now, because you don't know how to fly a plane. Neither do you! Yeah, Very mature. What are we trying now? The silent treatment? We're here. They've arrived. Through a break in the cloud, we see a small island down below. Isla Occulta. Okay. It's- well, can I just say, uh, well, I think two updates, I think, would have been made between 2010 when this was written and now... The video wouldn't have been in HD, would have been in 4K. Yeah, yes. Mm. I was going to say, inglorious <laughs> yeah, HD. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing is she would have been filming everything vertically on her phone. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she wouldn't have a flip-out DV cam. Yeah, a little camcorder. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so now we're on the small, uh, we're flying over this small mountainous volcanic island covered in dense green jungle. Suddenly, the plane is rocked by an explosion. They've been shot at by one of Roman's mercenaries from a nearby freighter on the ground, on the ocean. Nate uh, pulls the only parachute out and he puts it on Elena. He does that thing when um, he sort of says to her, do you trust me? And she goes, no, not really. Good. This makes this a lot easier. And he kicks her out and pulls the chute as she flies out. Basically, she flies out um, and, and goes down towards the jungle. And then the plane crashes into the island itself. Uh, Nate then wakes up from the wreckage. The plane is absolutely destroyed. Both Nate and Elena are separated on the island at this point. Nate slogs his way through the thick jungle while holding and avoiding some of uh, Roman's mercs who are also in the jungle. But then they're attacked, not by Nathan or anyone else, by something unseen, some weird creature. We see flashes of humanoids on all fours, greyish skin, blood red eyes. It rips the soldiers apart. The mercs uh, sort of rip to shreds and we hear them sort of screeching. Then one of the mercenaries' heads flies up into the tree and lands on Nate's lap. Uh, Nate, not wanting to hang around, jumps out and runs full tilt into the jungle. He bursts into bright light and he can see in the distance the port city. It's the same stone and mortar port city Sir Francis saw hundreds of years ago, now covered in foliage, acting as camouflage. So we've got these weird yeah. sort of creatures, zombies some, almost. Something out in the jungle. Nate looks at the harbour of the Stone City and he can see half-submerged ancient wooden ship on the shore. He's sort of peeling, looking around, um, and then he sees the name of the ship, the Defiance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. He spots Elena's parachute hanging from one of the port towers, but no Elena at the end of it. And then Nate carefully examines the area. He spots a pair of pirates trying to camouflage themselves, watching the parachute closely. It's a trap. They've set up a trap for him. Nate starts to climb up the wall of the port city, hanging by fingernails, jumping on impossible ledges. So this is yeah. this is like the game. This is you're jumping on, grabbing stuff and everything like that. <laughs> my, my partner, she plays a lot of Uncharted. And every time I walk in, she's climbing up a, like a cobblestone wall. Jumping to a small ledge. <laughs> there yes. were so many, and on the and the ledge, there's always me. The, the fourth or fifth ledge will break. Uh, yeah, they, they kind of yeah. change it. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's great, but he has all, all of um his most iconic lines are from those moments. I think actually, where he's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> so now we're back with Elena, who's being held hostage by Eddie. Yes, remember Eddie Raja? I do. Yes, yes. Don't mess with him. I, I was going to say, do you cross him? But you don't. No, you don't. You never ah. cross him, mate. If we've learned one thing. Lena tells them she knows what's really going on in the city. The pirates stop. They whisper of a curse. Does she know something? She tells them of a story of a Spanish admiral, Avardo. He took the statue of Amagua here. The Incas believed it would kill anyone who touched it. When suddenly, into the room walks Navarro, eyes glaring at Eddie. The pirates all step away in fear. 
He explains they found the journal in Spanish that paints a true horror story. Alvarado said that Umagua was cursed by demons, that it possessed his men. They started to kill each other, eating each other. So instead of bringing Umagua back to Spain, Alvarado sunk his own fleet to stop the curse from spreading. He strides towards Elena, who backs away, grabbing her camera from the table. He also tells her of Nathan. His real name is not Drake. It's actually Cruz. It doesn't quite sell to reporters that well, does it? Um, Then Elena backs all the way against the window. She looks out the the window behind her. She sees Nate hanging just below the windowsill. Nate reaches in, grabs Elena and pulls her out. They use some classic uncharted physics to go to... It says this in the actual script. They use uncharted physics to get down onto another level, which I think is a great little ad. Now, they're now in an old house high above the city. From this vantage point, Nate and Elena can make, uh, can make out the entire city. Um, they can see the full lagoon below. Elena subtly hints she knows Nate's secret about him not actually being a drake, but he seems to ignore her. He's quite distracted. Nate... They then make their way into the jungle. He's sort of leading the way. He's quite nervous because obviously he hasn't mentioned that he just saw some creature rip apart all these people in the jungle. So he's a little bit scared. As they're going through the jungle, they find uh, a monastery guarded by several of Roman's mercs. Elena spots movement by the villa as the mercs comes out with a man walking behind them, a man she recognises. It's Sully. He's not dead after all. What? Yes. What? He's very much alive. What about that for a switcheroo? <laughs> I, I saw him get shot, Eden. Mm. With my very own eyes, I saw him get shot. But he had a, <laughs> he had a small journal. Oh, <laughs> yeah. oh yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> In his little pocket. Yeah, yeah. correct. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You know how people do that. Yeah. <laughs> I've started carrying like three just in case. Just small yeah. journals. Either small. that or a, or a cigarette case. Yeah, correct. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. Now, Sully's brought over to a table with a series of maps laid out. He and Navarro discuss the maps. And then, lo and behold, the door opens. Hello, Sully. Nate? Holy Christmas. Stop right there! Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. He dropped a gun. Why would I do that? Because I got a gun on your friend. Oh, that's why you did that. I couldn't figure it out. Slight correction. You've got a gun pointed at the man who sold me out to your boss. I can explain. You always can, you son of a bitch. I had to... We were friends. I would have done anything for you and you stabbed me in the back. That's it. If you're not going to shoot him, I will. Oh, shit. Hey, freeze! That was good, kid. Getting him to let go of me. Thinking you wanted me dead. You've got a future as an actor. Looks painful. Think I staged getting shot, kid? Now that really hurts. It's just, things are complicated. How complicated can it be? Is your cut on a sliding scale? You brought the broad? The broad had a good question. What did it take to sell your best friend out? Cecilia. Who? My wife. And Roman's got her. Your wife? You're... You're married? What? How? What happens in Thailand stays in Thailand. After all the shit you gave me... Why do you think I did that? Because women are a liability. And a guy like Roman knows how to take advantage of that. Look at me. Here I am. Willing to throw away a friendship. And a fortune. All for a girl. Good thing I raised you better. So Roman gets Omagua? And I get Cecilia. I know, not my best deal. If I knew Navarro was planning to kill you... I hope taking the bullet proves that was never part of the deal. We can still win this thing, Nate. We find Omagua, and we'd be the one holding the cards. It'd be nice to see that once, before I sailed off into the sunset. Okay. What have you got so far? Tunnels. Catacombs. Miles and miles of them. Roman has everyone searching but nobody's found the tunnel that leads to the statue. Or if they did, they didn't live long enough to tell. You should know. Roman's already lost enough men to field a football team. For a while, I thought you were maybe to blame. Wasn't me. Eh, I figured. Something's out there. I ain't saying boogeyman, but something. I know what you mean. I saw something. Enough to want to wrap this up fast. It'd go faster without the dead weight. You go before she goes, Sully. So it's like that, huh? Well, 
Beggars can't be choosers. So you're saying they've searched in every direction? Yep. They've practically turned this whole island upside down looking for it. Nate stabs his finger down in the middle of the map table. An entrance to the catacombs is here. Nate, that's a palm tree. No, not there. Nate kicks over the map table. His finger points an elaborate stone carving on the floor underneath. Here. Sully cocks his head, taking in a wind rose on the floor, a compass pointing in four main directions. I noticed it the second I walked in. It bothered me and I didn't know why. The compass is pointing wrong. Upside down. He finds a seam in the stone and rotates the compass until it points the right way. Something shifts. Suddenly, the stones around the compass lower into the ground at varying heights. A staircase. See? That's what we call teamwork, Blondie. My real hair color is black, Sully. Like your soul. Dirty blonde suits you better, sweetie. I love a staircase in the floor, Eden. I love a staircase in the floor. <laughs> Tick it off, mate. <laughs> and it's good when you move giant things yeah. and things start yeah, happening. Yeah, that's like a thing in the game, right? You have to solve puzzles. Yeah. 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 Oh, for sure. And yeah. there's always um, it's always that thing in the game too where it's like if you're taking too long to solve the puzzle, they have a very organic way of Nate being like, wow, <laughs> that marking on the wall looks interesting. Maybe we should check that out. And you're like, I was getting to it, man. Come on. <laughs> that happens. There's God of War Ragnarok. They do that all the time. It's within oh, like yeah. two seconds. Of it. They're just like, have you looked over there to the right? And you're like, man, uh, I, I just... How about she use your axe on it? Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Shut up, kid. <laughs> oh, it's my bugbear. It's my bugbear. They need to be able to turn that off. So we now in the catacombs, guys, a stone subterranean tunnel going in all directions. Nate's flashlight illuminates the damp walls as he looks for identifying marks. Suddenly, there's a sound of gunfire. Nate looks up ahead as the sound of running draws near. Something's in the darkness, moving towards them. Nate points his gun, ready to pull the trigger, when one of Eddie's pirates steps into a shaft of light. The guy doesn't look right. He's sweating profusely, eyes bugged out. But the pirate drops his gun, grabs hold of Nate. The pirate's back is covered in sort of boils and blood with several gashes, wounds. He tells them one minute he was tracking them through the jungle. Then he wakes up down here next to a big gold statue. They must run. His face moves into the light, revealing greenish hue in his pupils. The pirate's entire body starts tensing up and then he falls down dead. Elena pulls Nate away from him. And they sort of start having a little conversation. And it does that old thing where it, it, it racks focus in the background and the body sure. starts yeah. getting, starts getting yeah. back up. Behind them, the corpse <laughs> of the pirate begins to move. The pirate's eyes have now become a crimson red, vacant of life. Teeth starts gnashing in his bloody mouth. He grabs for Sully, who gets pushed aside by Nate. Nate puts three shots into the pirate's chest, but he keeps on coming. It isn't until Nate unloads his entire clip that he finally goes down. Suddenly, they hear another noise. Seemingly from every direction, it sounds almost like scratching. They find a small ladder on the side of the catacombs to take them up to another chamber. Just then, Eddie rounds the corner. He's not dead yet. He tells them that he's finally caught them. Suddenly, the scratching becomes deafening, and out of all the walls and floors comes a grotesque form, gyrating and sort of rotating. And they refer to these guys as the cursed. Right. So yeah. they're like grave zombie style yeah. pirates. So we're in we're into like zombie pirate sort of territory now, which is sure. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Add it. Add it to the list. Um, <laughs> their skin is grey and taut. Their eyes are all blood red. Six more come out of the roof. They're, basically they're being surrounded. Um, they start firing at them all as they're trying to make their way to this little ladder. Nate tries to help Eddie up through the roof. Um, but they grab hold of Eddie's leg and pull him down before the door closes. Um, so that's Eddie is now. See you later. So they, they messed with Eddie and they won. Oh, that's rare. Yeah, that's very rare. Um, Nate and the others rush forward towards a nearby t- tunnel, but the cursed are still coming. They've climbed all the way up and they can hear them getting closer and closer. They suddenly um, come out into a bit of an opening and they're right at sort of a precipice. 30 feet below, there's a raging river. When suddenly a bunch of the cursed arrive, smash into Sully and Elena, and they all tumble down into the raging water. Nate, without a second thought, dives in after Elena and Sully. They tumble and fight their way through as Nate rescues Elena and Sully from the water, um, and they sort of resurface with the curse being sort of washed away down the cave. Elena can't believe Nate saved her life. 
She looks in Nate's eyes, hovering above her. She reaches a hand up and pulls Nate down, planting a kiss on his lips. Sully groans. Nate helps Elena up. They pull out a propane lighter, illuminating the dark cave. Then Nate notices something in the shadows by the wall. A skeleton propped up against the wall. The figure is still dressed in tattered clothes. In its lap sits a small leather journal. Is it? It's Drake. And this is the real last journal. My end is near. The devils hunt for me in the darkness. I will choose my own fate rather than lose my soul to Omagua. The Spaniards have unleashed hell and become as demons. My men are all dead, leaving the task to me alone. No ship will depart this island. A thing of such great evil must never leave these shores. In my final hour, I only hope I have found redemption for life misspent. The man who finds this last testament, I charge you with the mission I could not fulfill. Destroy Omagua. Bury its curse forever. And should you recover my map case, deliver it to my most faithful cross. The only true treasure of my life is in Cross's care. There is nothing more for me. Nothing more what? That's it. That's all it says. I think he died writing it. So, what now? That doesn't change a thing. What he wrote in there? High-octane bullshit. He probably had dengue fever. Don't. Don't you try and poison Nate with your easy cynicism. This changes things. Here we go. Nate, it's like when you saved that dog. You made the right choice. And when you dove in to save me... Dog? What dog? In Sri Lanka. I've never been to Sri Lanka. You slimy bastard! Is there anything about you two that isn't a lie? Wait a minute. Are you even related to him? Not this again. No, we deal with this now. I want to know if I'm wasting my time even trying to locate his conscience. Please, be honest with me just this once. Are you related to Sir Francis or not? No. My mother believed we were related to Sir Francis Drake. That Drake had a Spanish lover and she bore his child. That running through our veins was nobility, heroism. And my father used that to con her of every penny she had, stringing her along with the trinket of the month and bogus Drake research. And when he left us with nothing, even as we scraped to just get by, she believed it more. She needed it so bad, she even changed our name from Cruz to Drake. And you believed it, too. Part of him still does. No. You, you grow up thinking all these stories mean something. It's, it's hard to let go. But Sully set me straight. Sir Francis didn't have any heirs. His line died with him. Anything else? It's just rumor. So you turned it around, living the lie to your own advantage. Trust me. Nobody wants to invest in Nathan... Cruz. But Nathan Drake? What about the ring? Stole it from a museum. Did you ever tell your mother the truth? I, I couldn't. It was all she had. that bird got in here. That's our way out. Okay, the big confessional. The big. This is Marky Mark's big emotional monologue. What did we think? Uh, yeah, I, I like it. I mean, I think it's um, I think it's a nice moment, and I think it's it's that classic kind of um thing of like you don't need to 
be related to someone great to be great yourself you know it's it's your actions and you know not your bloodline that counts and so it's nice to know that um it's nice to get that reveal that he's just a guy you know you don't have to be a skywalker you can just be until the last scene until the last scene and And before that she was a palpatine (laughs) she was important that's true (laughs) um okay so we're in the home stretch now guys it's all coming together okay so they've they climb out they follow the bird the classic canary in the cold mine they fly it out um and they get out they break through they're back in the jungle now set of rocks split apart um sully is the last one to pull himself out only does now, if I remember correctly, does he not leave the ring? With yeah, it, he didn't say that. Yeah, he yeah. did leave the ring there as like a, I'm leaving this part of my life behind. So he did leave that. Good good pick up camera. Um, Sully's the last one to pull himself out of the chasm, only to discover the wreck of his plane lying there. So he's come out right next to the plane. And yeah. Sully's obviously upset. He's, no, this is my plane. Um, Nate stands nearby. Drake's journal open. He's sort of looking at the map he's, and he realises that something clicks in his head. He follows the map and he figures out that Omagua was not in the catacombs at all. It's actually hidden beneath the custom house. Yeah, so it's actually in another... It's not deep in the, in the catacombs. Um, it's underneath this big sort of uh, chamber. They're in the custom house of this port city, a small dome structure in this run-down location. And in the centre of the room, a thick stone tablet covers a section of the floor. Sully and Nate pull aside the tablet. There's a groaning sound and a dais suddenly rises, pushing aside 600 years of dirt and dust. And beneath the dais lies Omagua. It is even more amazing in person, nearly 30 feet high and made of pure shining gold, adorned with the strange and terrifying faces of gods long forgotten. So they've turned this thing and it's come out of the ground. Like, yeah, it's huge. They turn to see Navarro smiling alongside at least a dozen of his thugs. He just, he just rocks up all the you time. You right to it. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know that the, the reveal was his voice from off screen. Yeah. Going, yeah. Oh, oh, thank you very Thanks much, Nate. Thanks for finding the treasure for me. For me yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And then the click of now a gun. Now I kindly ask you to leave. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, you'll be buried with it. Yeah, there's all that. Um, all three of them are now on their knees, hands behind their heads with rifles trained on each of them. And then who enters? Roman comes back into the picture. So Roman's now entered there with mercenaries all around him, a huge smile on his face. Call the helicopters and start loading this up. Roman walks up to the massive statue, dwarfed by its size. Roman congratulates Navarro. Navarro asks Roman if he wants to have the honour to be the first to look inside. Navarro sort of has a bit of a grin on his face and and, and Roman goes, yeah, okay. He walks around, reaching around it. He finds a seam and he pulls it open. And inside, a mummified corpse. Navarro knowingly smiles, catching Nate's eye. A terrified vision, skin pulled tight on this corpse around a skeletal features, hands clawing with agony, mouth still pulled wide into an ancient scream. He's back to the others, Roman screams in anguish as his skin starts to bubble like a cauldron. His muscles constrict so powerfully that his bones splinter and crack. When he finally turns around, his eyes have turned blood red. His features pull tight in animalistic rage. He is the cursed. Roman lets out a piercing shriek and charges towards Navarro. Navarro waits until he's practically on top of him and then fires and shoots Roman in his head. Roman falls down dead. This shocks the mercs and are quickly gunned down by Navarro's thugs. The thugs quickly move into action, covering their mouths with their shirts as Navarro turns back towards Nate. He explains Omagua isn't the statue of gold, it's what's inside. The corpse is the high priest. He was reclaiming history, finishing the job that his ancestors started. He was going to infect the conquistadors with the curse, but it ended up taking out his own people. So this is what happened to all the natives. So they were basically going to send this curse to Spain and it was going to wipe out everyone. So it was like a big... Golden Trojan horse. Yeah, yeah. That's a really good reference point, actually, there. Um, So now Navarro is going to use this fear of this curse on people and he's going to sell it as like a WMD, yeah? So like the highest fear. He doesn't say WMD, but yeah. yeah. Um, They start loading the statue into a netting. He levels his revolver at Nate's head, but suddenly 
a loud sound resonates through the walls, scratching. It's the cursed. Crawling out through every nook and cranny comes hundreds and hundreds of the horde of undead creatures. As all the creatures attack, Nate and Sally take advantage of all the confusion. They spin around, knocking out two thugs with a pair of punches at the same time. Taking their weapons, Nate gives Omagua one last look as they both rush out the door. Nestled between two buildings, they see Eddie's motorboat. Yeah? Sally is the first to arrive. Not only does he find the motorboat ready to go, but he also finds crates filled with various gold and jewels encrusted with Spanish relics. So Eddie had already started stealing stuff and he'd left it in his boat. Nate and Elena, they both get on board. Just then, the sound of whirring. Nate sort of looks back and he sees that the helicopter has arrived at the custom house and it begins to rise out with a bound Umagua, the gold statue in it, and he can see Navarro in the cockpit next to the pilot. Nate's hand absently goes to his chest where the ring once was, but there's nothing there now. Nate, in a split-second decision, jumps off the boat and takes off towards the custom house. Nate spots a jeep at the edge of the city. He jumps into it. The keys are in it. He starts it and races off towards the helicopter. So now we've got a chase sequence with the helicopter with a giant statue and they're in the jeep following it along. Well, we need to because we've read a journal and then yeah, there's been the an explosion. And now we're so now in we need a chase, a chase yeah. sequence where's and then our, they find a boat. Where's our boat? Yeah, where's yeah, our boat at the end? Yeah. Um, now, they're coming towards a giant cliff and the curse is sort of jumping onto the Jeep um, and they're making the car swing around. And as they're going to the Jeep, Nate just catches up. It leaps off and he jumps off the car classic. in midair and grabs onto the netting of the statue. So, yeah, another, another classic uh, action hero trope there. Now he's sort of hanging off the statue. Navarro screams, if you cut that rope, you won't be able to get the statue back. No one will. Nate finally manages to climb all the way up to the top of the statue and he starts to cut cut sort of the one at a time the ropes and then Navarro gets out of the helicopter and they have a fist, fist fight yeah, on top <laughs> of the rope golden statue which is great which is really good um, and then just as um, as Navarro's got the upper hand Nate then with his knife cuts the last one he grabs onto the, the rope that's still attached to the helicopter and Navarro and the statue plummet into the ocean below um, they liken it to Ahab I was going to say, in Moby Dick, it's like it's like yeah. when he gets dragged down with Moby Dick, but he won't let go because that's what he's been after. Yeah, yeah. Um, so now Nathan's hanging on to the chopper as it's flying over towards the freighter that's there, um, and then we we pan down. We see Sully with a rocket launcher found on Eddie's boat, <laughs> and he with, with quite frankly no regard for Nate, yeah. fires the rocket launcher at the helicopter, <laughs> exploding it, and basically Nate flies off the hook just in time and lands into the water, um, safe and sound. Um, flaming remains are all around. The boat goes over, picks up um, Nathan from the, from the water. Sully and Elena are now all on board. Everyone takes a moment to breathe, and Sully lays out the treasure haul from Eddie's boat. Elena reviews footage of her video camera screen. Okay. Why'd you do that? I tell my story and how long before every wreck diver in the world is swarming around you. But you are going to make it up to me, Nate. We're going to tell a new story. Personal redemption. Boy who grew up believing he was a Drake ends up fulfilling Drake's dying wish... Minus the mention of Amagua, of course. No one will buy it. They'll buy it because I'm selling it. And because it's true. I hate to tell you this, Nate, but I think you just became one of the good guys. Whatever. I can't stop you from writing this any way you choose. That's right. And if I'm going to make this a character piece, I'm going to need to know my subject inside and out. In depth. Extremely. Up close and personal. Sally finds a small wooden box, the seal of St. Francis on it. Nate, come take a look at this. Nate looks for a way to open it. I don't believe it. There appears to be a ring-shaped indentation on it. The drake ring. Why is that a problem? 
Why? Because the damn ring is... You took it back from Sir Francis. I had a feeling you might earn it. Nate slides the ring into the slot. Section by section, the box slides and shifts open. There's no map inside. All that's inside is an ornate, bejeweled baby rattle. There is an inscription inside that reads, For Isabella Cruz, the guide to my stars. Cross? Cruz? Wait. Now let's not go down that road again. Coincidence. Gotta be. You sure? It doesn't matter. You're still my story, and you've got an exclusive to deliver. So he was a Skywalker after, I mean, a Drake after all. So (laughs) that one scene undoes a lot. (laughs) It's it's like, oh, they gave up the treasure. Or did they? Did they maybe get a little bit of treasure? But he gave the ring up and put that part of him behind him. But did he? Actually, he still got the ring. But he was a no one. Or was he? (laughs) It's actually um, in in the fourth game and and they took, I think, a little bit from that and put it in the the film that we got as well. Um, They go through some Nate as a kid stuff and and Mm. him kind of exploring the... Um, you know, Sir Francis Drake Museum and, and all of that. So they kind of tease throughout the whole series this idea of is he or isn't he um, a Drake um, really well. And it's mm. it's really kind of core to, to who he is and whether or not he, he feels kind of worthy. But I think the message sort of stays the same is that in the end it doesn't really matter if he is or isn't. Yeah. Because, um, you know, you get you get to know him as a as a as a man and you get to know his heart. Um, so what, let's throw it out. What are we thinking? Do we think this is better than the film that we eventually got? I think, I mean, yeah, I, I think it is. I think it's, um, I think it's a simpler, you know, retelling mm. of the story, but I think it does a better job. You know, I understand that there's obviously a lot of pressure with adaptations and maybe the thinking is a lot of the time you don't want to create something that is just, um, you know, a shot for shot recreation of something yeah. that we already have. But I think... You know, uh, The Last of Us has proved that that can be done really well, um, and you can kind of add in extra color here and there. I think it's I think it's a really great adaptation, a wonderful script, and um, with the right cast, maybe it could have been something special. Well, Wahlberg has never won you over, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think that uh, I I quite like that it's it's a pretty simple story, and yeah. even though it's like every cliche in the world. That's kind of what Uncharted is. Like, it's sure. unabashedly a cheesy adventure movie, and I kind of like cheesy adventure movies. This kind of film, it's a little bit like horror, you know? I think, you know, you, you expect a certain amount of tropes, and if you don't get them, you're sort of left feeling disappointed. Mm. But yeah. they give they have opportunities to be like, yeah, you've seen this action scene before, but you've not seen it done like this, and that's when <laughs> you get those whoa moments with the, you know, he'd fire a rocket launcher and it created a tidal wave for him to jump over. Like, that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> On an accuracy level, as someone that's not played the game, how would you score this? How accurate is this to the the first game story? I'd, I'd say it's pretty close. It's, it's pretty it's, close. It's been yeah. a long time since I played the first one. I think, mm. the, you know, two, three, four stick in my mind a lot clearer. But, um, you know, as I, as those scenes were playing out, they, they jogged a lot of memory. So I think yeah. they, they tried to kind of follow it pretty closely, yeah. So now comes the question, what happened? Yeah. Why Why did this? So of- can I tell you what I know about David O. Russell? Yes. One, I know this is a really early draft. And two, he is notorious for doing draft after draft after draft after draft mm. after draft after draft to the point where his adaptions don't really look like the thing he's adapting anymore. Sure. Yes. Well, I think you're hitting the nail on the head there, Cambo, because I know we mentioned Joe Pesci at the start yeah. as well as an uncle. And Joe Pesci is nowhere to be seen in this script. So- how it goes is that David started working on more and more drafts. So this is sort of where they started. They started with the DNA of the game and he started working more and more and it became a bit of a forget about it mob style yeah. sort of Pesci and De Niro. He the, added a whole element of that to it. The pitch of. I've heard, which confused me hearing this, mm. is that it was it was supposed to be set in New York City mob-based art heist. Yeah, so that's what it became with David O. Russell. Right, you yeah. know, Uncharted. Uncharted, of <laughs> yeah, course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah, New yeah. York mob-based art heist movie. Yeah, so they actually said, so they had a bit of a chat um, uh, when David was redeveloping it and one of the producers said, look, we 
they had a faithful sort of video game adaptation in mind um, and they didn't want to alienate the gaming community. Uh, and that's why sort of Nathan Drake and, and Sully, they wanted to keep them, they didn't want them to be this, this mafiosa family. Yeah. So they started pushing back a little bit um, and it came to the, uh, the classic uh, creative differences is yeah. uh, what actually ended up happening, why David sort of left. Um, he says, David says, well, what can I say? I wandered into those waters of the Temple movie and I wrote what I wanted to write. And I feel like I wrote my vision, he told the Hollywood Reporter. Uh, And the rest is up to those guys. I can't pick it for those guys. I don't know what they want to do over there. It's just was the parting of ways creatively. So I think he kept pushing, kept pushing to change it. And eventually they got annoyed with him and they said, see you later. This is the risk of the auteur. Mm. I feel like they would have gone, we've got this game. It's so cinematic. It's got this great Mm. adventure storyline. This is a home run. All you need to do is adapt it. But I feel like the auteur is like, no, 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 no. Actually, Kubrick made many changes to The Shining, <laughs> and I think I'm somewhat Kubrick-esque. <laughs> and they just need to make it their own, and you need a journeyman director. So the idea is that they were happy with it in some form, and and he just was delaying the the, the process of making it because he was like, it's not ready. Yeah, so, he it's wanted. Not, to, it's not me. It's enough. not him. Yeah, it wasn't his vision enough. It was it was too much like the game. He felt. Yeah, um, sure. which is a huge mistake. Which is like because it ended up being directed by Ruben Fleischner. Well, I was going to say so. It never really died though. So we talk about films. Some of the films we talk about absolutely died. Yeah. But this just took a really long time. So it went through five more directors. It went through Seth Gordon, yep. who did Baywatch. Yep. Sean Levy, who yep. did Night at the Museum. Mm-hmm. Um, Dan uh, Trenchenberg, who did yep. Ten Cloverfield Lane. Uh, Travis Knight, who did Bumblebee, wow. had a crack. And then finally, like you said, uh, uh, Ruben, who um, well, directed Venom. I do know we were actually sent two versions of this script. Uh, there was a version also written by the director, Joe Carnahan, mm. who directed things like The A-Team and The Grey. Uh, and he he wrote a version and his dream cast was Ryan Reynolds <laughs> as Nathan Drake and Brian Cranston as Sully. Oh, that, Brian that was Cranston his matchup Sully. that he wanted to do. Cranston. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. But a lot of the people you're talking about is who I think you need. And Ruben Fleischer is this, which is a journeyman director, yeah. which is someone that comes in and goes, yeah, I get it. For hire. Yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll do what you want. I'll do, yeah. it, I'll do it on budget and on schedule and whatever, <laughs> which is what they ended up going with. But hmm. I think something like this needs that. Now, Marky Mark, we've got to actually uh, just the final word maybe from Marky Mark. Yeah. In terms of what he thought, because originally he was on board for Nathan um, and it was in delay for so long that he ended up aging out of the character of Nathan and falling more into the Sully sort of uh, age bracket. Yeah. So I think we've got a We've got a clip, clip of, of him, him explaining how he realised that. <laughs> I was originally, you know, cast as Nathan Drake. Mm-hmm. And I never really, they never called me and said, oh, by the way, now you've aged out of that part. Yeah. We want you to play the older guy. They just sent me the When script. did they cast you as that? David O. Russell and I were doing the first uh, version of it in 2009, 2010, right after oh, okay. Fighter so came wow. out. And then, you know, they just called recently and they're like, all right, we're getting the movie going. I was like, cool. And I was like, but who's the other guy? And they were like, Tom Holland. I was like, what? I'm thinking, you know, maybe we get De Niro or we get Jack Nicholson one more time or Tommy Lee Jones or, you know, Brian Cranston. And then all of a sudden they were like, Tom Holland. I was like, for what? (laughs) And I was like, okay, I get it. I'm the old guy. I mean, I don't think he. W- yeah, I get. I guess I don't, I don't think he was old enough to play Sully, and I think yeah, Tom no. Holland was too young to play Drake. So, I, but yeah, I I don't know. I, I get I get that they were trying to make it their own thing and and maybe maybe start it as a journey that they could continue on for many years. But um. this is that classic Hollywood thing where. It, like there must be like a producer friend or something in the same vein as Constantine mm. from the, two, the early 2000s where they went, got this character, he's a scouser, he's from England, blonde hair, kind of looks like Sting. Who are you thinking? And someone went, Keanu Reeves. <laughs> I feel like for this we're like Sully, Hawaiian shirts, chomping on a cigar, quick with a joke, he'll light up your smoke. Who are you thinking? And someone went, Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think they wanted him to do the mustache from the beginning and Mark Wahlberg was like, I don't look good in a mustache, but I'll tell you. 100%. 100%. 100%. Yeah, I'll give it to you at the end and uh, yeah. and we'll do we'll do two shots. It reminds yeah. me of like, I remember the, um, this is a weird segue, like one of the seasons of The Bachelor was sponsored by Gillette. And so <laughs> The Bachelor had like this really cool like stubble that is very, mm-hmm. like, you know, not quite a beard, but not quite yeah. shaven that's quite popular now. And um, and and for his big final date, like date, they, 
they had to um, do a whole sequence where he does a clean <laughs> shave. And you could see he was so not happy about it. He's like, I don't like this. I don't like my face like this. He felt weird. And then as soon yeah. as the episode was over, he was like growing it back. Go like, back, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so the question that this whole podcast was set up to introduce, do you want to see this film? I mean, I don't know that there's any point now, but I would have liked to have seen it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think it, it would have been great. I think we all agree that it's a fun adaption if a little not needed anymore. But you know what? You don't need to watch it. We bloody made it for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is the end of our cancelled movie report on David O. Russell's Uncharted. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and we would love it if you could leave us a five-star rating, be it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, wherever you like to listen. That really does help us get discovered in the charts. In fact, you can leave us a five-star review just like this one that Eden cannot wait to read out. Outstanding, Cambo. Five stars. One of the absolute best podcasts out there. Where else can you hear reactions of unreleased scripted from your favourite film franchises? Cambo and Eden make a brilliant hosting team, setting the stage for each scene and leading the listeners through the story with precisely the right amount of silly banter. Oh, we measure it. We we are very precise with our silly banter. Bloody get into it, they said. That was from uh, Jay Lyksalt, uh via Apple Podcasts from the United States. You know what I love is it's from the United States, but hopefully our Australianisms of bloody get into it has rubbed off on them. Oh, that's that's Jay likes it. Oh, Jay likes it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm like, oh, that's a fancy name. No, it's Jay likes it. And we would Jay likes it if you joined us over on Patreon, <laughs> oh, where we have a very bonus podcast called Casting Calls. We take people that were almost cast in famous movies, and you know what? We insert them back into them. What did you think of the movie? Did we miss anything? We'd love to hear from you. You can always get in touch with us via cancelmovies at gmail.com or at cancelmovies on all of the socials. Steph, thank you so much for joining Steph us. Steph, cannot thank you enough oh, for jumping on board. Thanks for having me. It was awesome. Hopefully it feels a little bit like you have actually seen this movie now and you can now wrestle with the fact of Mark Wahlberg being Nathan Drake in your brain forever. <laughs> 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 thanks so much, guys. I'm Michael Campbell. I've hosted and edited these episodes and Eden Porter was my co-host as well. Thank you very much, Cambo. And we both produced the show. We also need to end with thanking our amazing mm. voice cast. Once again, Cameron Logston was Nathan Drake. Ashana Sheth was Elena. Ryan Lee was Sully. Make sure you're listening next week because we're talking about another Guillermo del Toro fronted film, his adaption of Justice League Dark and what happened to it. If you can't wait, here's a quick sneak peek. The books are very powerful. They can help you, hurt you, save the world or destroy it. We can't let the books fall into Woodrow's hands. You've seen the books then? Well, yeah, not yet. But... God damn it, John, you don't even know if they exist? Hold up, hold up. Come on, Boston. Come here, sit down. Hear me out, okay? But until then... Take care.